Welcome to CyberCast, decoding today's cyber issues. I'm your host, Kate Macri. The last six months produced a flurry of cyber activity, from the SolarWinds breach to the Colonial Pipeline hack to President Joe Biden's new cyber executive order. The Government Accountability Office has a unique perspective on federal cybersecurity. They produce the famous accountability reports, detailing everything a federal agency does wrong and how they can fix it. Jennifer Franks, Director of Information Technology and Cybersecurity at the GAO, has keen insight into the state of federal cybersecurity. She sat down with me to talk about some of the top cyber issues facing the Federal Register. In this episode of CyberCast, Franks will tell us whether or not she thinks it's realistic for federal agencies to implement a zero-trust plan in 90 days per President Biden's cyber executive order. She's also going to provide insight into how GAO does cybersecurity and how the COVID-19 pandemic has transformed federal cybersecurity, perhaps for the better. When federal agencies began working from home in March 2020, at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, the GAO already had a unique setup in place to ease the transition. We have actually here at GAO worked with the operational capacity of a telework solution for a little over five years now. So way before COVID-19, had been accelerated, we were in this space. So once COVID-19 accelerated last March, we were able to look at our business model and it really didn't require any changes to the behavior of our staff or even the need for changes to the infrastructure that supported our maximum telework program, which was a benefit to us for real. So we have been using the solution that supports remote access connections It uses a virtual desktop and we call it the Citral Virtuous Desktop Infrastructure. So internally, it's just like VDI all day, every day. And to be honest, there were many driving factors that drove us to implement this solution. However, one key factor was really the ability to use existing technologies that support the access to our VDI. And this allowed the agency to reduce the endpoint complexity and use zero client laptops. And this significantly reduced the configuration and the operating capabilities of the endpoint itself. So one of the key benefits of these zero client laptops, which we use, are that they do not allow storage of data. And this adds some additional security protections for the agency, which has been really helpful, especially in this telework capacity space. I would also like to note that about 95% or so of our GAO staff are connected to the VDI daily. And this was, again, before the pandemic started. And with the implementation of the VDI, we chose a sane access model, which means that staff were able to connect to the network, whether they were inside of one of our GAO locations, either at the headquarters level or one of our 11 field offices, or if they were remote, working remotely. And this really required folks to be able to connect using a remote access controller and then be verified using multi-factor authentication when they launch their GAO desktops daily. And that's really what we've been doing and how we've been working in this space even before COVID-19. We're likely going to continue using our product and do have system upgrades and, you know, very intermittently. And other agencies have also started to use 
these types of systems, maybe not our model itself, but what we've seen with the work that we have previously issued and the work that we do have ongoing at this point, many federal agencies did, in fact, have their own similar remote access technologies already in place, which helped them to really provide additional services and continue that continuity for their agencies once COVID-19 really, really accelerated last year. The GAO remote desktop platform not only streamlined telework and reduced IT lift, but also enhanced cybersecurity measures and raised cyber awareness and helped centralize and smooth data operations. So in my capacity as a director of information technology and cybersecurity, I don't really manage the network operability of the agency. We actually have a division that does the operational services of IT for us. And we uh, call it information systems and, and technology services. So working with both teams of IT and the executive committee of the agency, they really work to design how to center the data complexities in one data center effort. And then we have a backup, of course. You know, again, looking at those laptops that each of us had, the 3,000 plus employees had, and limiting the security constraints that were needed to patch and provide updates to the individual systems and software and then the hardware support and all of those types of elements. So moving to those zero client workstations that we do now have and installing this VDI it really helped us to just limit how we needed to provide those additional protections. So I wasn't in on the decision-making, of course, but what we've seen is the decision to kind of drive us to, you know, providing that center capacity of providing those protections around the data center and the efforts that are needed for those configurations really help our services team to really just focus on a specific area instead of having to provide all of the additional support across the network for all the individual systems. In that space, I'm based in Atlanta, and I remember we had a server in Atlanta. There was a server in Huntsville. And, you know, all of the field offices had their own operations that also, you know, kind of plugged into the headquarters. So this model helped us to streamline a lot of those activities. I would say that it's allowed for more peace of mind that if someone's notebook was perhaps stolen from their home in a home invasion instance, you know, having that zero client notebook, if somebody was to open it and try to upload something or download something, that something for them does not exist because those zero clients do not maintain any storage of any type of data. The only thing they may be able to do is to access the web, but even that has a, a very limited control on it outside of our virtual desktop infrastructure. So plugging everything inside of this really provided some extra encryption services for the agency. And I think we've been able to quantify some successes in kind of cybersecurity education across the agency so that, you know, our users are aware of what this means. And um, some of us use personal laptops if we don't have our GAO laptops personally accessible. 
but connecting to the virtual desktop infrastructure, you access it with the same multi-factor authentication services. So it really just has increased some of the protections the agency want to have in place. Pandemic teleworking drew back the curtain on many federal agencies' agility and cyber practices. In her evaluation of federal agencies' cyber postures, Franks thinks the major cyber challenges are still the same in 2021, but the details are different. The widespread federal shift to the cloud adds its own layer of complexity. So in my personal view, I think the major challenges within this time frame have remained the same. And there have just been some added complexities to managing like the data protection efforts that have come for the agencies that are at the forefront of COVID-19 preparedness efforts, as well as the ability, again, to manage remote access connections in this maximum telework capacity. So thinking about that maximum telework capacity, you know, with the increase in remote operations, organizations really just needed to pay closer attention to the aspects of their workforce that could be targeted, such as vulnerabilities and in the the virtual desktop technologies, and even the lack of employee situational awareness. You know, we're working at home. We all have smartphones near us and smart technologies in our homes. So making sure employees were aware of, you know, their environment, what types of work they were, you know, conducting at home and how they were connecting safely into their agency's network was a big part of that situational awareness. Also in this telework space, and using remote access technologies, we needed to focus on additional protections, again, because of the general nature of, you know, the higher exposure of external threats compared to the technologies that are only accessible from someone's agency in the inside of their buildings and the inside of their networks. And GAO, I I did want to point out that we have previously conducted some work where we have also indicated that several agencies had established plans to migrate their services into the cloud. So working in the last year in this space, federal agencies often use internet-based cloud services to address their information technology needs, which needed additional cloud services and security to fulfill their mission. And I do think there are some things we could have done differently in this space. Notably, um, we've also had some previous work where we've looked at the FedRAMP um, program, and that's the Federal Risk and Authorization Management Program. We had a report that came out at the end of 2019, and I believe with the report that showed there was progress being made to standardize the approach to securing systems and assessing security controls and even continuously monitoring cloud services used by the federal agencies, it just had not been widely adopted and widely used across the federal agencies. And I do think with our previous work and how it's illustrate, what it illustrates rather, and how even those agencies in that report have started to implement some of our recommendations, had there been stronger FedRAMP implementation um, procedures in place, agencies would have been a little bit more ready with programs and processes in place to provide additional network monitoring. I would also like to note that DHS has the Continuous Diagnostic and Mitigation Program, which all of us know at CDM, of course, and 
we've also issued some work in the middle of last year, I believe, I think it was in August, where agencies used uh, some advanced deployment of tools and they even started to implement some of the program requirements, but the efforts were not holistically done to this full capacity. And these tools and services really do have the capability to automate network monitoring, which really would have helped to provide additional protections in this maximum telework space and the migration to additional cloud services. And what this additional network monitoring would have also allowed us to do It would have allowed government agencies to further correlate and analyze security-related information and also enhance risk-based decision-making. Now, I've also talked about the COVID-19 space and kind of the acceleration of where we are and kind of what got us here. But I also wanted to note, since I do a lot of work in the healthcare organizations, COVID-19 really did highlight the need for federal government agencies to pay attention to cyber threats that pose a serious challenge to national security, the economic well-being, and even with public health and safety. And I've mentioned this in other areas, but this is something that has been really at the forefront since COVID-19 accelerated. And now it's the malicious cyber actors that have sought to exploit, you know, COVID-19 and target healthcare organizations and public health critical infrastructure sector you know, both at the government entity perspective and the non-governmental healthcare organizations. And these cyber actors were after, you know, a number of things like patient information and public health data and intellectual property. And this really wasn't, again, news to us at GAO. Again, we've been doing work in this space for quite some time. But what it did was reinforce concerns that we've previously made in previous reports and even had several recommendations to leadership and and coordinate activities during the detection response and remediation period of responding to cyber incidents. So that's really been key of what we've seen in this space. And we've also been reminded that it wasn't just COVID-19 that we needed to be prepared for. We've had additional advanced persistent threats that targeted federal agencies in this space. So thinking about that, The president executive order was issued earlier this month that everyone has taken a lot of notice to as we're going to have to, even GAO included, really look to streamline, revise, reestablish, and implement new processes to really look at more forward thinking of how we look and address cybersecurity. So we're going to continue assessing efforts across the government, of course. GAO will always be around. And we'll be looking at the efforts agencies are undertaking to establish and implement the outline procedures within their agencies. And the EO really discusses several, several things. And for instance, the EO describes procedures that are developed to ensure that cyber threats and incident reports are promptly reported. And then that related information is appropriately shared among the cyber communities. And that sharing is really key because if it's affecting your agency or if it has not yet affected your agency, you really need to know of what the cyber vectors were and what potential threats could likely or unlikely, you know, really come into your environment. You know, sometimes dealing in the unknown, it's part of growing your cybersecurity protections. 
While the major challenges, like ransomware, supply chain breaches, phishing, haven't changed, their intensity has grown exponentially in the last year. President Biden's executive order on improving the nation's cybersecurity came not a moment too late. Franks thinks the central coordinating role of a national cyber director holds the potential to fundamentally transform federal cybersecurity. So with the common things we've seen in cybersecurity this year, they really go back to looking at the four major cybersecurity challenges that we have highlighted in our most recent cybersecurity high-risk report. And that there are four challenge areas. Challenge one looks at establishing a comprehensive cybersecurity strategy and performing effective oversight. Challenge two, securing federal information systems and its information. Challenge three, protecting cyber critical infrastructure. And then challenge four, really looking at protecting privacy and sensitive data. So within this last year, you had COVID-19, which was, you know, at the forefront of all of our minds, um, especially those agencies that were at the forefront, again, of responding to this pandemic. But we've also seen an uptick of other cyber attacks. So the risk to IT systems supporting the federal government and the nation's critical infrastructure were just increasing. So agencies really needed to consider looking at uh, the additional threats to their environments, which continued. It was a thing that we had to do prior to COVID, and it's something that we're going to have to continue to do. Look at potential insider threats, you know, from the witting and unwitting employees, escalating and emerging threats from around the globe, unfortunately, and the emergence of new and more destructive cyber attacks. And with these challenges that we've identified within our high-risk report, and then thinking about those persistent cyber attacks that just continue to plague us, we've also identified 10 critical actions within our most recent cybersecurity high-risk update that agencies could consider you know, taking to bolster their cybersecurity protections. And these include elements like developing and executing a more comprehensive federal strategy for national cybersecurity. And in this, again, what I talked about earlier was we've done a number of reviews that we looked at the need for the government to take a definitive central leadership role, establish and implement the role to really coordinate government efforts to overcome the nation's cyber-related threats and challenges. So really having that central voice in there. We also, in this critical action area, we look at addressing global supply chain risk, which going back to the SolarWinds incident, everyone knew it happened because of a supply chain attack. We also address the cybersecurity workforce challenges. Even when this topic got on the high risk list in 1997, at that time, we start identifying the shortage of key personnel that were trained with a cybersecurity technical expertise in this space. So this effort has still continued. And then also just looking at you know, data protection and, and protecting of the privacy, as we've seen, that's really essential, especially in this healthcare space during COVID-19. You know, the EO touches on what we've said in numerous cybersecurity high-risk report areas, and notably, it's going to really look at that central coordinating role. That central coordinating role will then provide a voice 
to kind of direct government wide efforts in this area of, you know, cyber threats and the remediation activities and the mitigation activities that could come even before your environment is compromised. So we do think that could be a start of really looking at an area that we have identified as a high risk area for quite some time. And then looking at the EO, there's just a lot of advisory boards and the communication of coordination and collaboration efforts across the agencies and talking together, really assessing what could have happened in one environment and working with DISA, working with CISA, working with FBI even, you know, really to think about the threats that are coming, their advanced threats, and they're, they're getting more and more aggressive. We're really looking at those information sharing procedures will allow agencies to be a lot more proactive in preparing their environments for anything uncertain that could really come to them. There is a lot of metrics in the EO that is going to hold agencies accountable for the reporting timeframes of things. Um, Every agency has policies and procedures, and they know if there's a major or significant incident how they have to report it and when they have to report it. But the elements of the EO definitely take it up to a a certain notch of really looking at the the importance of uh, monitoring that timeline and making sure those appropriate parties are notified as soon as they need to be notified. It's going to be looking at um, how they are conducting remediation activities. It differs for each organization. But the aspect of how you develop a full scope of remediation activities is really key from identifying the point of entry or, you know, from a possible intrusion to really remediating. There's a lot that goes on with the assessments and the forensic analyses of any, you know, potential incident in an environment. And the EO is, it really describes the ways the government agencies could start to really look at Uh, how to do that and how to streamline it so that the activities of what to do are not so different for each of the various agencies. And so I really could go on and on about that, but the EO really does touch on just so much. Biden's cyber executive order demands federal agencies come up with a plan to implement zero trust architectures within 90 days of the order's signing. Does Franks think federal agencies can realistically implement a zero-trust plan in just three months? Well, the answer is complicated. I think the answer is yes and no combined. I do think the executive order provides a good blueprint for what needs to be done, what should be done, and it provides you know, all the metrics for when you should strive to get this accomplished and then report back to the necessary parties that your efforts are underway or have been completed, yes. However, it also notes that the agencies are gonna to have to work with other federal partners such as NIST and OMB to really look at how to descriptively define and you know, kind of implement, design certain procedures tailored to their specific networks. So there's not going to be one way to design an architecture that looks at zero trust for any organization, but the EO isn't prescriptive in in aligning everything that needs to be included for that. They're going to have to go to other sources, other areas of criteria 
and even industry best standards to really apply the full scope and tailor the needs specific to their various federal agency environments. And that leads me to talking about, you know, what also what the EO describes is the adoption of agency plans to implement a zero trust architecture. Whereas again, agencies would have to stop assuming everything behind their perimeter firewalls is safe and really look at the unknown and assume that the network might've already been breached. To that end, with the implementation of this new architecture with zero trust, agencies would really have to look at a least privileged access model and really distinctly you know, verify each of the requests that are made for access into their various systems and control environments in their various agencies. So I really do think these efforts would, you know, within the EO, it's going to take some time. It's going to take a huge culture shift across the federal government. But the implementation of these elements could really add some additional um, security protections for all of us. A common pitfall for federal agencies' cyber strategies during COVID-19 was a lack of resources. Franks outlined the GAO's process for cybersecurity recommendations and how GAO goes about securing its own IT. Sharing best practices and discussing cyber challenges is one of the ways federal agencies can work together to improve federal cybersecurity. So some of the common pitfalls are really looking again at some of the elements we did and did not review in our cybersecurity high-risk report. You know, adding, again, the four challenge areas, oversight and strategy and securing information and information systems and the critical infrastructure and cybersecurity and then privacy areas. You know, some of the major challenges in this space and the common pitfalls were looking at the voluminous amount of data, right? COVID-19 brought on the additional need to really protect additional data, maximum telework capacity, remote operations. And we then we still had consistent cyber threats plaguing each of our environments. So really what the common pitfalls really were in this space were a lack of resources, like spreading ourselves too thin, not really paying attention to the network monitoring and providing those continuous monitoring services as we all really likely needed to do. Again, as I note, even though only a certain amount of federal agencies were compromised publicly, of course, with the solar winds attack, all the agencies had to go back and review the confines and the infrastructure of their supporting environments to really look at and reassess how their environments were designed and, you know, really look at trained personnel, making sure that everybody that was in their environment was adequately, you know, doing the duty that they were skilled to do, whether it was, you know, providing boundary protections or whether it was managing the authentication services into your network for people who were still inside of the agency's perimeter in their building or providing that support for the remote access connections. So it was more of the common pitfall of just streamlining all of those resources, 
timely and effectively to be a little bit more proactive instead of reactive when it needed to come down to that. You know, so GAO has an outward facing mission where we support Congress. We're an independent nonpartisan agency supporting Congress's efforts to make government services more efficient and effective. So within the IT team, we do look at agencies' uh, services, and we look at the services to evaluate and assess federal information management technology and cybersecurity programs. So in that notion of cybersecurity, we do focus a lot of efforts in conducting the audit reviews and looking at the security control deficiencies that are defined within the agencies we are reviewing. And we do tend to make, you know, several recommendations to federal agencies in this space. And within these recommendations, we often cite sources from government entities such as NIST, DISA, NSA, and we include industry best practices such as Microsoft and Red Hat, Amazon, and Cisco. And we also notably use the CIS benchmark as a best practice. So similar to most organizations, we have multiple network environments here at GAO. We're just not a standalone entity environment. So we certainly do strive to follow our own recommendations as we practice our goals of protecting and boasting cybersecurity internally. And our operations services team, again, I mentioned earlier, the information systems and technology services, they provide technology and service support for GAO. They really do consider the industry best practices that are used as a starting baseline to the implementation of our services at GAO. And that also includes, you know, cybersecurity, of course. But with every organization, there just really isn't a single set of best practices that will work and fit every single organization. So our ISTS follows cybersecurity best practices, you know, within the limits of meeting GAO's mission needs effectively. Unfortunately, sometimes the annual appropriation process and federal budgetary cycles can hamstring a federal agency's efforts to improve their cyber posture. So notably, the annual appropriations and budgetary cycles do play an important role in providing critical resources to agencies to maintain their IT services and support, as well as enhance their cybersecurity postures. The annual process really determines the resource allocations, and this includes everything from personnel to maintaining a well-equipped cyber force, you know, with equipment and tools and technologies, and then, yes, looking at the modernization efforts and then the upgrading of the security of even the legacy systems. And ideally, the budget cycle really should provide funding to ensure that an agency has all of the appropriate resources in place, you know, people and financially, to protect and secure its environments and assets. But where the challenges come in with this are in the annual process itself, because it typically happens for agencies around the same time each year. And with that, we have to look at cyber, IT and cyber within the scope of 
what may have happened in the year before or the year prior to that and what you are forward thinking could happen with your agency. But as we noted earlier on, you know, cyber threat to new security vulnerabilities, they can happen at any time. They, they don't care about your budget cycle. And therefore, they may come after your financial assessment has been made for the next fiscal year. So what we often don't see from the outside looking in to these situations are that as these major cyber events happen, the needs and priorities of both the affected organizations and then those who have not yet been affected can still shift overnight even for how they really respond to the normal annual appropriations in the budgetary cycles. And this creates a challenge because agencies may need additional resources to mitigate emerging threats. Um, there are some potential options to address resource concerns that they could include borrowing and, you know, from evolving or specialized accounts such as the working capital funds, the modernization funds. And they, they could even work with Congress as applicable to discuss the need for additional resources. However, it really is important to note that agencies should, the best they can, work to think ahead, be a lot more forward thinking, and prepare for the unexpected so that annual budgets and appropriations can shape the best support for their cyber environments. The GAO is just one federal agency working to help secure federal agencies' IT systems and networks. Other agencies like CISA and the GSA also offer resources and guidance for how to improve one's cyber posture. As federal agencies continue to transfer IT operations to the cloud, face more persistent cyber threats, and grapple with the new cyber executive order, cyber leaders like Jennifer Franks are here to guide federal agencies into a stronger, more transparent, era of cybersecurity. To hear more about federal cybersecurity, subscribe to Cybercast, decoding today's cyber issues. I'm your host, Kate Macri. Thank you for listening. Cybercast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentcio.com slash podcasts.